All right, guys, let's be honest. We don't have the greatest track record of not cussing. We occasionally slip up a couple words. If you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, you don't. However, on this one, we're going to really be letting loose the F-bombs. So you better keep on a trucking if you don't want to hear it. cycle in the news to where we almost become sick of them. What happened to the stories that dominated the news for such a long time? Did they ever figure out what the actor or actress's death was caused by? Who was the killer in that string of murders? Does the legendary creature exist or was it set up by someone seeking attention? How did that person die? What's the real story behind it and why didn't we hear about it? Welcome to the Aftermath where we try to tie up the loose ends on the stories we watch so intently on TV and then never heard an ending to, due to life smacking us in the face with more happenings. Also, if you're new, hit that subscribe button. Forgotten story. The story of the mobsters featured in Goodfellas. On June 11, 1943, a child was born by the name of Henry. And he was born in the Manhattan outskirts of New York City. His parents were an Irish-American electrician, son of a coal miner, and Camila Costa, an Italian immigrant of Sicilian descent. Pizza. From an early age, Henry admired the local mobsters who socialized at a dispatch cab stand. I don't like you people. Across from the street from Henry's home, meet Henry Hill, the subject of the movie Goodfellas. See? Everybody wants to be the big guy in charge, see? Well, I got moves for you. In 1955, when he was just 11 years old, Henry Hill wandered into the cab stand looking for a part-time job after school. I told you, you should have hired the monkey. From that day in 1955 onward, Henry Hill would be connected to the Mafia, but ultimately this would start as being an errand boy running jobs in his early teens for patrons of Paul Vario's storefront, Shoeshine, pizzeria, and cab stand. This is where Henry would meet one of his most influential scholars of the criminal sage. Huh? T-Church. Named Jimmy the Jet Burke. Burke was a hijacker and member of the Lucchese crime family in the year of 1956. Hill's first taste of the mafia was running for sandwiches, but soon after, Henry realized he could save money by just making them himself. This ended up with the deli owner confronting Henry, asking him to stop making his own sandwiches, and he would cut Henry in for a percentage of the sales. This actually put money in Hill's pockets. In the book Wise Guys, Henry describes Jimmy Burke as, quote, He was saw-bucking me to death. Twenty here, twenty there. He wasn't like anyone else I'd ever met. Henry then quit school to work at the cab stand full-time. The following year, 1960, Paul Vario's younger brother, Vito Tutti Vario, and Vario's son, Lenny Vario, presented Hill with a highly sought-after union card in the Bricklayer's local. Hill would be a no-show and put on the building contractor's construction payroll, guaranteeing him a weekly salary of $190, which was equivalent to $1,830 in 2022. This didn't mean Hill would be getting or keeping all that money every week. However, he received a portion of it, and the rest was kept and divided among the Varios. The card also allowed Hill 
to facilitate the pickup of daily policy bets and loan payments to Vario from local construction sites. Once Hill had his legitimate job, he dropped out of high school and began working exclusively for the Vario gangsters. No Show is a paid position that ostensibly requires the holder to perform duties, but for which no work or even attendance is actually expected. The awarding of No Show jobs is a form of political or corporate corruption. Alrighty. Hill's first encounter with arson occurred when a rival cab stand opened just around the corner of Vario's business. Oh, shit. The competing company's owner was from Alabama, new to New York City. I've got to tell you, this is going to hurt. So, are you ready? Sometime after midnight, Tuddy and Hill drove to the river cab stand with a drum full of gasoline in the back seat of Tuddy's car. Hill smashed the cab's windows and filled them with gasoline soaked in newspapers and then set them on fire by lighting an entire matchbook. Henry's first arrest. Sir, drop your weapon, put your hands on your head, and get down on the ground. You are going to be placed under arrest. Henry was arrested when he was just 16 years old after trying to buy some tires on a stolen credit card for Vario's wife's car. After the youngster arrived to pick up the tires, he was greeted by two police officers. Hi who then arrested him. Hill had been taught that no matter what, you do not rat on your friends. Shut the fuck up. Hill kept his mouth shut. This, this immediately resulted in respect from the older mafioso. Show respect, y'all. So much, in fact, they actually met him outside the courtroom as if it were a party. Mario's attorney ended up giving Henry a suspended sentence for the whole incident. He had been released on bail. Henry had just learned the life lessons in regard to the mafia. Shut the fuck up. Of never ratting on your friend or cohorts. 1960, Henry joins the army. Uh, what? Bring your it confused Paul Vario, and Vario asked Henry if he needed to get the papers back to be thrown away for Henry. Henry was insistent on joining the army, that way he could appease his father and get him off his back. Leave me alone. Just because Henry was in the army doesn't mean his crime stopped. He had regular contact with all of his former mafia friends. He also started hustling as he worked in the kitchen and realized the supervisor would order too much stuff for the kitchen and then just throw it away. Henry would take the steaks and sell them to local restaurants. Eventually, the kitchen supervisor was replaced and would not be in charge, and Henry's actions would go noticed, and he would end up eventually in the stockade for the remainder of his army career. He spent two months in the stockade for stealing a local sheriff's car <laughs> and fighting in a bar with Marines and a civilian. In 1963, he was finally released from the army, and he returned to New York. Come back alive. 1965, he meets his wife, Karen Friedman, a while on a double date. Barrio insisted that he'll accompany his son at Frankie the Wap Manzo's restaurant. Vila Capra. According to Friedman, the date was disastrous, and Hill stood her up for the next dinner date. Um, I got ghosted. Afterward, the two began going on dates at Copacabana after she confronted him. I kill you. They also went to nightclubs, where Friedman was introduced to Hill's outwardly impressive lifestyle. The two later got married in a large North Carolina weddings, attended by most of Hill's gangster friends. Honey, will you marry me? April 6, 1967, Henry and Tommy hijack a truck at Idlewild Airport. Hill and Simone drive to the Air France cargo terminal at John F. Kennedy International Airport with an empty suitcase, the largest Henry could find. Inside connection, Robert McMahon said the two should just walk in as people are often in the terminal to pick up lost baggage. DeSimone and Hill 
entered an unsecured area, unchallenged, and unlocked the door with a duplicate key. Using a small flashlight, they loaded seven bags into a suitcase and left with $420,000. Damn, 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 damn. No alarm was raised, no shots were fired, and no one was injured. The theft was not discovered until the following Monday when a Wells Fargo truck arrived to pick up the cash to be delivered to the French-American Banking Corporation. Hill believed Air France robbery was what they endeared him to the mafia. He was later ordered by Paul Vario to join Simone and burn down the Bamboo Lounge. Hill used his share of the robbery proceeds from Air France to purchase a restaurant on Queens Boulevard, the suite, initially aimed to run as a legitimate business and provide distance between himself and the mob associates. However, within several months, the nightclub had become another mob hangout. Hill later said that the members of Lucchese and Gambino crews moved into the club en masse, including high-ranking Gambino family members who were, quote, always there. 1970, the death of Billy Bats. There was a welcome home party for Billy Bats at Robert's Lounge. The drinks were flowing. Enters Tommy Simone. He walked in and Billy Bats made a joke about Tommy shining shoes as a child, which is something Tommy perceived as a slight. The issue was that Billy was a made man. He could not be touched unless a sit-down and permission was given. Tommy told Birkin Hill, quote, I'm gonna kill that fuck, end quote. A couple weeks later, Billy was drinking in the suite from Wise Guy. Quote, I was praying he'd go home when Tommy walked in. It didn't take long. Tommy immediately sent his girlfriend home, gave me and Jimmy the look. Right away, Jimmy started getting real cozy with Billy Bats. Keep him here. I'm going for a bag, Tommy whispers to Henry Hill, who relayed the story to Pelagi, quote, he was going for a body bag, a plastic mattress cup, so Billy wouldn't bleed all over the place after he killed him. Two weeks later, Billy Bats was at the suite near closing time when he was pistol whipped by Simone. Hill said. Before Simone started to beat Billy Bats, Simone yelled, shine these fucking shoes. Fuck you! After Bass was beaten and presumed dead, Simone, Burke, and Hill placed his body in the trunk of Hill's car for transport. They stopped at DeSimone's mother's house. Yes, Mommy? To fetch a shovel and lime. They started to hear sounds from the truck, and that's when they realized Billy Bass was still alive. DeSimone and Burke stopped the car and beat him with a shovel and a tire iron. Die! Burke had a friend who owned a dog kennel in upstate New York. Oops. Oh, shit. Keep it up, you're gonna piss me off. Let's go. And Bass was buried there. Unbeknownst to them, that wasn't going to stick. Three months later, after Billy Bats' murder, Jimmy Burke's friend sold the dog kennel to housing developers. And Burke ordered Hill and Simone to exhume Bats' body and dispose of it elsewhere. From the commentary of the film Goodfellas, Henry states that Bats' body was buried in the basement of Robert's Lounge, a bar and restaurant owned by Jimmy Burke, and was later put into a car crusher. October 31st, 1970. Tommy shoots the bartender. <laughs> One night, Tommy shot a kid named Spider in the foot who was bringing drinks because the kid didn't want to dance. Yes. Love and house is there for everybody. Move your body and see somebody. Everyone is trying to be on my money, but life is there like music. Music sets you free. Love this music, everybody. Let's go and dance now. Now. <laughs> It looked accidental. Vinny Asaro, who was with the Bonanno crew, took Spider to a neighborhood doctor to get the kid fixed up. It says in Wise Guy, quote, Crazy Tommy kept making the kid dance. Tommy said he was using the kid for target practice. One night we're playing cards in the cellar. Tommy, Jimmy, and me, Anthony Stabile, Angela Sete, when Spider walks in. 
It's three o'clock in the morning, and we're all smashed out of our minds. All of a sudden, Tommy wants him to dance. Do a dance, Tommy says. For some reason, Spider tells Tommy to go fuck himself. Now, we started getting on Tommy. Jimmy's joking and says to Tommy, are you going to take this shit from that punk? We're all egging Tommy on, joking with him. He's getting mad, but he's still playing cards. Then, before anyone has any idea what he's going to do, he puts three shots into Spider's chest. I didn't even know where he got the gun, except for a second, we're all death. I can smell burning. Nobody says a word, but now I'm convinced Tommy is a total psychopath. It says in the book Wise Guy. November 2nd, 1970. After she suspects Henry of cheating, Karen has a massive fight with Henry. Henry wakes up to find Karen has straddled him in the bed. She holds a gun to his face. Karen said she felt powerful, but she knew she couldn't kill him because she was in love with him, according to the book Wise Guys. November 1972. Burke and Hill were arrested for beating up Casper Giasolio in Tampa, Florida. Giasolio allegedly owed a large gambling debt to their friend, union boss Casey. Rosado. They were convicted of extortion and sentenced to 10 years in the United States Penitentiary of Lewisburg. Hill was imprisoned with Paul Vario, who was serving a sentence for tax evasion, and several members of John Gotti's Gambino crew. In Lewisburg, Hill met a man from Pittsburgh who, for a fee, taught Hill how to smuggle drugs into prison. Did you know? According to Henry Hill himself in his memoir, Gangsters and Goodfellas, while he was in jail after being sentenced for extortion in 1974, Tommy DeSimone, DeVita, Pesci, and Goodfellas beat up and attempted to rape Karen. But at this time, Karen was having an affair with Paul Vario. After learning about what Tommy tried to do to Karen, Paul reportedly had Tommy killed by telling the Gambino crime family that Tommy was the one who killed Billy Bats. While Karen and Polly's affair wasn't included nor mentioned in Goodfellas, it was subtly referenced in the scene where Polly and Jimmy confront Henry about him cheating on Karen and she told them and she told them about it. Polly told Henry he was going to talk to her, saying he knows, quote, how to talk to her. Hey man, watch your step especially her, end quote, which is seen as a subtle reference to the real-life affair between both of them. July 12, 1978, Hill was freed after four years. You got freedom to live your life the way you want to live. And resumed his criminal career. He began trafficking drugs, which Burke eventually became involved with, even though the Lucchese crime family, with whom they were associated, did not authorize any of its members to deal drugs. Uh-oh. Stinky. This Lucchese ban was enacted because the prison sentences imposed on anyone convicted of drug trafficking were so lengthy that the accused would often become informants in exchange for lesser sentences. Oh, Who <laughs> began wholesaling marijuana, cocaine, heroin, and quaaludes? There are only two types of people in the world. Those who love cocaine and those who have never tried it based on the connections he made in prison. He earned an enormous amount of money. A young kid who was a mule of Hills ratted on him to the narcotics detectives Daniel Mann and William Broder. Oh, crap. The youngster, so named by detectives, informed them that Hill was connected to the Lucchese crime family. Really? And he was a close friend with Vario and Tabert, and probably had been in on the Lufthansa robbery. No, 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 no. Knowing of Hill's exploits, the detectives put surveillance on him. I don't really like drama, you know? I mean, my whole thing is peace, love, and positivity. They found out that Hill's old prison friend from Pittsburgh ran a dog grooming salon as a front. <laughs> 
Mann and Broder had thousands of wiretaps of Hill, but Hill and his crew used coded language in the conversations. Hill's wiretap on March 29th is an example of this bizarre vocabulary. Pittsburgh, you know that golf clubs and dogs you gave me in return? Henry Hill, yeah. Pittsburgh, can you still do that? Hill, same kind of golf clubs? Pittsburgh, no, no golf clubs. Can you still give me the dogs if I can pay for the golf clubs? Hill, yeah, sure. Portion of the conversation was obviously admitted. You front me the shampoo and I'll front you the dog pills. What time tomorrow? Hill, anytime after 12. Pittsburgh, you won't hold my lady friend up? Hill, no. Pittsburgh connection. Somebody will just exchange dogs. December 11th, 1978. An estimated $24.4 million in 2022 was stolen from Lufthansa cargo terminal in Kennedy Airport, with $5 million in cash and $875,000 in jewelry, making it the largest cash robbery committed on American soil at the time. The plot had begun when bookmaker Marty Krugman told Hill that Lufthansa flew in currency to his cargo terminal at the airport. Wow. Burke set the plan in motion. He did not directly take part in the heist. However, Burke did not trust Marty Krugman due to the fact that Krugman one time told him he would inform the authorities about Burke trying to shake him down. Basketball fixing. Hill and two Pittsburgh gamblers set up the 1978-79 Boston College basketball point-shaving scheme by convincing Boston College center Rick Kuhn to participate. For shame! Kuhn, who was a high school friend of one of the gamblers, encouraged teammates to participate in the scheme. Hill also claimed to have an NBA referee in his pocket who worked games at Madison Square Garden during the 1970s. The referee had incurred gambling debts on horse races. Hill's 1980 arrest. In 1980, Hill was arrested on the narcotics trafficking charge. He became convinced that his former associates planned to have him killed. Fario for dealing drugs and Burke for preventing Hill from implicating him in the Lufthansa heist. Hill heard a wiretap from his associates Angelo Seppe and Anthony Stabile were anxious to have him killed in your ass and that they were telling Burke that Hill is quote no good oh, yeah. and quote is a junkie. Burke told them to not worry about it. Hill was more convinced by a surveillance tape played to him by federal investigators, in which Burke tells Vario of their need to have Hill whacked. When Hill was finally released on bail, Burke told him that he should meet him at a bar, which Hill had never heard of or seen before, owned by Charlie the Jap. However, Hill never met Burke there. Instead, they met at Burke's sweatshop with Karen and asked for the address in Florida where Hill was to kill Bobby Germain's son with Anthony Stabile. Hill knew he would be murdered if he went down to Florida. Edward A. McDonald, the head of the Brooklyn Organized Crime Strike Force, arrested Hill as a material witness in the Lufthansa robbery. With a long sentence hanging over him, Hill agreed to become an informant and signed an agreement with the strike force on May 27, 1980. On the Run, A Mafia Childhood, written by Greg and Gina as adults, Karen and the kids had to leave everything, including family in the past. But as The Mirror reports, that didn't guarantee them safety, largely thanks to Henry's inability to keep a low profile or keeping away from crime. Understandably, it's hard to find information on what Karen's doing now. She's here. What do we know? From Mafia Wiki, the Hill family bounced around 
a lot between various states, including Washington, Nebraska, and Kentucky. They were eventually kicked the witness protection program after the film came out, according to ABC News. No one knows for certain why the couple separated in 1989. We know that Karen finally filed for divorce in 1990, although it didn't become official until 2002. The Aftermath On January 14, 1979, Tommy DeSimone, the character portrayed by Joe Pesci, his wife, Angela, reported him missing. She had said the last time she saw D. Simone was a few weeks earlier when he borrowed $60 from her. It's believed that D. Simone was murdered as revenge for the two unsanctioned murders of John Gotti's men, Billy Batts and Giraffe. When Hill became an FBI informant in 1980, he told authorities that D. Simone had been murdered by the Gambino crime family. Despite the off-given date of the death of January 14, 1979, the exact date of D. Simone's murder is still uncertain. Hill claimed that, quote, in the week after Christmas, end quote, he and Burke had gone to Florida to straighten out a drug dealer gone bad. DeSimone had remained behind in New York, having been told that in late December 78 or early 79 that he was going to be made. Peter Vario, Paul Vario's son, and Bruno Faccioli came to an unknown location. Hill also indicated in both the book and the commentary for the movie Goodfellas that DeSimone had already been killed when Martin Krugman disappeared on January 6, 1979. In 1994, Hill and his book Gangster and Goodfellas Henry gave an explanation of the events leading up to DeSimone's death, which was part and due to Tommy trying to rape Hill's wife, Karen. Two theories about DeSimone's alleged murder and murderers exist from mob insiders, according to mob informants Joseph Joe Dogs Lanuzzi. Thomas Agro claimed in 1985 that he had murdered DeSimone, as well as his brother, Anthony, after he turned informant. Agro also suggested murdering the eldest and last remaining brother, Robert. Agro would often laugh to killing the third D. Simone brother, stating, quote, maybe it's time to go for the D. Simone trifecta, end quote. Another account told by Hill in Gangsters and Goodfellas states that John Gotti himself was the assassin, although in the presence of Agro on May 17, 2007 episode of Howard Stern Show, Hill reaffirmed that Gotti had killed DeSimone. He also added that the death took a long time. Billy Batts' role as assassin was repeated in the 2015 book, The Lufthansa Heist, co-written by Hill and journalist Daniel Simone. Although this account claims that DeSimone's death was an instantaneous from three gunshots to the head, according to Sal Polisi, DeSimone was killed by Agro in presence of John Gotti and that Agro slowly tortured D. Simone to death. It has been theorized D. Simone is buried in The Hole, a suspected mafia graveyard on the Brooklyn-Queens border near Kennedy Airport, where the body of Al Indelico was found in 1981, and where the bodies of Philip Glassoni and Dominic Trinchero were recovered by police in 2004. With a $1 million bounty on his head, according to ABC News, Henry Hill didn't have much choice other than to cooperate. On February 9, 1984, Paul Vorio was convicted of defrauding the federal government. Now a government witness, Hill testified that Vorio had arranged a fictitious restaurant job for Hill so that he could be released from federal prison. Vorio was convicted, and on April 3, 1984, he was sentenced to four years federal prison. 
prison and fined $10,000. On February 21st of 85, while serving his prison sentence, Vario was indicted for racketeering conspiracies that involved extortion. He and his co-conspirators were charged with extorting money over $350,000 from the air cargo companies at JFK Airport, threatening them with labor problems if they did not pay. Convicted again with the help of Hill's testimony, he was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment for extortion. Vario died in prison May 3rd, 1988 at the age of 73 from lung failure. He was incarcerated at Fort Worth Federal Prison in Fort Worth, Texas. He's buried at St. John's Cemetery in Middle Village, Queens, New York. In 1980, Jimmy Burke was arrested for a parole violation. In 82, Burke was convicted of conspiracy and sentenced to 12 years in prison for his involvement with the 1978-79 Boston College point shaving scandal. Based primarily on the testimony of his former mob associate Henry Hill, Hill's point shaving scandal's testimony in federal court resulted in a total of 50 convictions. In this case and other cases, including those of Burke and their boss, Paul Varia, the capo, while Burke was serving that sentence, which he was charged in 79 for the murder of a drug dealer, Richard Eaton. He was convicted at a trial in which Hill testified Burke had, was serving his sentence in Windy Correctional Facility in Aden, New York, when he developed cancer. He died April 3, 1996, while being treated at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. Had he lived, he would have been eligible for parole on March 11, 2004. Burke was buried at St. Charles Cemetery in East Farmingdale, New York. He was sentenced in 1985 to a further 20 years in prison. Henry Hill died of complications related to heart disease in a Los Angeles hospital on June 12, 2012. After a long battle with his illness, a day after his 69th birthday, his girlfriend for the last six years of his life, Lisa Caserta, said, quote, he had been sick for a long time. His heart gave out. CBS News aired Caserta's report on Hill's death, during which she stated, quote, he went out pretty peacefully for a good fella, end quote. She said Hill had recently had a heart attack before his death and had died from complications after a long history of heart problems associated with smoking. Hill's family was present when he died. Hill was cremated the day after his death. According to sources, he had a $1 million bounty on his head from his crew to kill Henry Hill. Did you know the famous How Am I Funny scene was rooted in a real event from actor Joe Pesci when he used to be a waiter. While waiting on a mobster, Pesci told the man he was funny and got a less than enthusiastic response for his sass. Scorsese loved the anecdote so much, he decided to shoot it and put it in the movie, even though it wasn't in the script. Pesci and Leota both knew what was going to happen in the scene. They had improvised and rehearsed it beforehand, but Scorsese deliberately didn't inform the other actors surrounding them of the actual shoot in order to elicit natural reactions. During the scene where Nero's character is kicking Billy Bats. The kicks were real. The actor who played Billy Bats, Frank Vinson, also of Sopranos fame, was wearing padding, but even so he was wearing padding, he recalled waking up with bruises the following day. Ed McDonald plays himself at the end of the film. He was the prosecutor who brought down the real-life Henry Hill and later placed him and his family in witness protection. There are 300 uses of the word fuck in Goodfellas, which for time made was the record holder for the most usages in a film. Many of these usages were ad-libbed by Joe Pesci. The original script had less than 100. Scorsese actually topped his own benchmark record with 2010's The Wolf of Wall Street, 506 uses of the word fuck. Fuck. In 2013, possible human remains were unearthed by the FBI 
and New York Police Department organized crime investigators at Jimmy Burke's former home. Ray Liotta's mother died by breast cancer during the production of the film, and Liotta used the anger over her death to drive his performance, most notably during the scene where he pissed the whips Karen's neighbor Bruce. According to Mark Evan Jacobs, the actor who played Bruce, he got legitimately hit on one of the takes. Special thanks to TimeToast.com, The Book Wise Guys, SHMoop.com, All This Interesting.com, Grunge.com, ABCNews.com, CBSNews.com, MafiaWiki.com, DenOfGeek.com, ScreenRant.com, and Complex.com. It was one of the greatest stories ever told in the film market. Thanks for listening. My name's Dan Hudson. We hope you have a great week. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.